seriously popular. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others. While she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital, Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven infants and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail, I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. So last week, in our first episode back after the Christmas break, Caroline, we heard from Mark Hanna. Now, he's the editor of McNay's Essential Law for Journalists. And this week, we had been hoping to bring you details of evidence heard by the jury during their first week back. As often happens in long and complicated court cases like this one, we get delays. And once again this week, one of the jurors was poorly and another had a family matter to deal with. So they didn't actually sit at all last week. So the long and short of it is we haven't got any evidence to bring you. But luckily, we're going to hear more from Mark Hanna, and we've also lined up another great guest to speak to, John Harris, the legendary boss of Cavendish Press. Welcome to episode 11. In the first part of Mark's interview last week, we heard about the challenges journalists face covering court cases. In the second part today, he tells us about a new procedure that means some cases are not even heard in public. Well, the backdrop to this is the austerity years when public spending was cut. The Ministry of Justice suffered a very big cut over 10 years. I think it was nearly a quarter of its budget. So they looked at ways to what they call modernise the system, which basically means to cut costs mainly. So the government of the day in 2015 passed law enabling what we now know is the single justice procedure. And in layman terms, that's essentially kind of like secret hearings. Yes. What it is, is the government presented this as dealing with kind of low-level cases in magistrate's court, such as speeding, 
TV license evasion, train fare evasion. These were dealt with only by fines, not imprisonment. And under this law, there doesn't have to be a court hearing at all. A notice of prosecution is sent to the person accused, the defendant, that they can plead guilty or not guilty. If they plead guilty or don't respond, for those types of cases, there's no courtroom hearing. It's dealt with by a single magistrate sitting in an office, basically, looking at the evidence and if anything has been heard from the defendant. Now, these kind of low-level cases used to be in open court, and it may be that journalists didn't attend them very much, but the point was they could if they heard of a local dignitary or celebrity, or they could just wander in and listen and to pick it up and see That's... if anything was newsworthy. Yeah. But now they can't because it's an administrative process. There's no court hearing at all. Lists are sent to journalists, or should be, saying who's due to be dealt, and there should also be a register sent saying what the outcome is. But what journalists don't get, unless they write in by email to apply for it, they don't get the evidence and they don't get any mitigation. Now, some journalists are doing that. One in particular, Tristan Kirk of the uh, Evening Standard in London, has pioneered this. And the law does allow you to write in and, and request the prosecution evidence and any mitigation. But it's turned into an investigative process, if you like, whereas before you could go along and hear it, and now you have to apply for it. It can take weeks. It's onerous, basically, and, for journalists um, to do it, isn't it? It's much more whether a journalist hears of an individual case that they need to pursue. They don't hear of the case, and they don't get the register. Sometimes these are not sent out, or they don't recognise the name on the register because it's a celebrity or someone using their real name, not yes. their stage yeah, right. name. Mm. Yeah. Then the case can go completely unreported. In fact, Tristan found out over a thousand cases had never been publicised at all, including two policemen who've been fined under the COVID regulations for not obeying quarantine coming back from abroad. These cases weren't publicised at all until he started digging. That seems to have snuck under the radar. Well, I think when MPs passed this law, they were told it was for what was known as straightforward victimless crime. The nature of the crimes being dealt with has kind of spread out from what MPs, I think, understood. For example, truancy cases are being dealt yeah, with yeah. in the single justice procedure, whereby a parent is prosecuted because a child doesn't attend school. It could be that there's a wider issue here. Was the child being bullied? Is yeah. the school looking after the children's regards bullying? And these cases are now virtually being unreported. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities.
abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, Liz, so Mark Hammer there was talking a lot about changes in court cases, and we've heard a lot on the podcast about changes in access to courts and the number of trials that are maybe not covered in enough detail. And we've got the most amazing guest on to talk us a bit more about this, haven't we? I mean, I can't think of anyone better than Mr Justice John Harris, as he's known. (laughs) As he's commonly known in the north, in the northern circuit of journalism, we should say. John, introduce yourself. Tell us why you might be known by that that name and and what you've done in your career. Okay, my name's John Harris and I'm... uh, the principal at Cavendish Press, which is a, a news agency which sources stories and pictures for various newspapers, websites, magazines, etc. The reason for the Mr Justice nickname is because <laughs> for many, many years our agency has covered primarily court cases, tribunals and inquests. And a lot of our podcast so far in the guests that we've had on has talked about why court cases now and maybe not covered as much as they used to be. But maybe that's not true. Maybe you're in there all the time with your teams and covering everything. It is true that many, many, in particular, magistrates' courts and uh, smaller crown courts were traditionally covered by solo freelancers. And they would cover cases for the local papers. They'd be on what's called retainer agreements, where they get flat fees every month, and that would be for the local papers. Unfortunately, the retainer agreements were scrapped sort of in the late 90s, early noughties, which has since made it difficult for freelancers to exist in the courts. I mean, we still do the courts because we supply pictures as well, which does help when it comes to covering courts worthwhile. But sadly, those who don't do pictures will struggle, and inevitably many freelancers have either retired or just given up because we're living on fees which were agreed in the 1980s. But you still, every day, have someone, don't you, at a magistrate's court, yes. or yeah. a, a number of magistrates' court across the northwest. Yes. And you do get some great stories yes. every day well, from them. Well, when I first started out 30-odd years ago, my first boss always told me that the best stories are always in the magistrate's courts. And the reason for that is a lot of it just reflects real life. Most readers will relate to cases that appear in the magistrate's course, whether it be drink driving or um, neighbourhood disputes or family feuds. These are incidents which people relate to. The offbeat, the quirky, sometimes the very, very funny. You will get black comedy cases at the magistrate's court, which you might not necessarily get at the Crown Court. They're great courts to Mm. cover. I actually think, in my sort of 30 years of doing this, I actually think the courts are a lot more accessible now than they were about 20 to 30 years ago. I think we're getting a lot more access to stuff that we wouldn't have otherwise been. And I think also, in many cases, the press are not treated as the enemy. There has been anecdotal evidence of magistrates saying, 
wow, it's great to see you here because yeah. I'm not, we've not seen a single reporter in six months. Yeah. And that is quite sad, really. What we've found is that I mean, it's only in recent times that we've been covering the magistrates' courts in Cheshire and some in Merseyside. A lot of them haven't been covered for many years. When you're sending into those, are you sending with a specific story in mind because yes. you've seen something on the list? You're not yes. sending speculatively? No. It's always about targeting particular cases which I think are going to be interesting. So you've so, seen the list and I've, you go, yeah. mm, there's something in that. Yes. There's one this morning that we're having a look at about uh, an 83-year-old man who's up for harassment and criminal damage to a neighbour's adjoining wall. So um, it's potentially quite interesting. He's 83, very unusual for an 83-year-old man to be before the court. He's accused of climbing over a fence and shouting abuse at his next-door neighbour. We were talking to Mark about single justice procedure and is this pushing magistrates' court hearings behind closed doors? Your view is slightly different, isn't it? Yes. Just explain why you're not as concerned about single justice procedure. A lot of these single justice procedure cases are sort of very minor motoring matters. And I've seen these, these lists. They're freely available for any member of the press to pick up. And it's a bit like the old days of when you used to plead guilty by letter and you would then get you know, three points on your licence and a £60 fine. These single justice pr procedures might be for people who perhaps have turned down the chance of going on a speed awareness course. But we're not talking about a scenario where people are facing a road ban or potentially very serious matters being dealt with behind closed doors. I suppose there is an argument to say, it's, is this a slippery slope? I think there's concerns over whether they're dealing with truancy that way, whether they're dealing with mm. COVID fines that way, and whether then the list becomes chunkier and bigger because, well, actually, is that minor? Should we put that in there as well? And I suppose that's the concern, isn't it, that if, well, it's, if I, it grows? I would be surprised if truancy cases were being dealt with by single justice procedure. Because technically you can be jailed for truancy offences. There has been cases in the past where parents have gone to prison for not sending their children mm. to school. But I have seen a number of single justice procedures, not just the one I showed you this morning. All of it is, is motoring, mm. it's, it's speeding or failing to produce documents. So therefore, do you think it makes some sense in terms of making the court process more efficient? Well, you've got to remember that courts aren't cheap to run. The argument will be, well costs about 750 quid to run a magistrate's court for a day the view might be that well what is the point of of putting on a special court just to have somebody say yep he was caught speeding at 14 or 30 and i'm fining him 60 quid with three points on the license because invariably if you plead guilty by letter or whatever it is invariably there won't be an explanation there it will mm. just be yes i admit it you know i throw myself on the mercy of the court or whatever it is they're going to say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But what are you worried about then, John? We know you have concerns. My main gripes are, well, the, the minor one at the magistrates' court is that it's sometimes very difficult to get the first name of the magistrates, but that's by the by. The main gripes are some of the stuff that goes on at the Crown Court. What happens now is that courts will have something called a digital case system known as the DCS, which is a great invention. It's like a hub for prosecution, defence lawyers, probation officers police, etc., to file various evidence, opening statements, sentencing statements, that sort of stuff. So the judge can read a lot of the papers before hearing the case. Great for them, but the trouble is there is an element of a double-edged sword about it, because if the judge has read the papers, which invariably they will have done, they'll come into court with an idea of actually what's, what's going to happen. And you will get scenarios where 
The judge said, right, I've read the papers. Can we get on with it, please? Because you don't need to go into too much detail. So invariably, uh, you'll get a scenario where the judge will have read the uh, papers beforehand and come into court and will have an idea, basically, of, of what everything is about. And he may, he may even have an idea of what sentence they're about to pass. But that is no good for a member of the public or a member of the press sat in court. And unfortunately, the effect of that is that we are then placed in difficulty about what we can actually report the case there's little detail. That then leads in turn to confusion in terms of the readership who have no idea why somebody facing a serious criminal offence has in effect walked free. The other issue is the use of victim impact statements mm. in court. These are a bit of a revelation when they were introduced, weren't they? Well, I think it's an American thing. Uh, what happens to happen in these American courts is that people stand up and tell the court of the, what the effects are of the perpetrator's crimes against them. And what it does is it adds a human element. When they're delivered by the actual victim or relative of a yeah. victim, they're really powerful. Yeah, well, the reason why they were introduced is because it's so the defendant could actually hear them. It's, I mean, it's, that's the reason why they, sh they should mm -hmm. be read out, is mm -hmm. so the defendant can hear what the effects are of the crime he or she has committed on the victim. Yes, there will be cases where some people will give those victim impact statements in person. Invariably, there will be some, many occasions where they're not present in court to give their victim impact statements, yet they've still been written and they should still be heard. And there has been numerous examples where a prosecutor might refer to a victim impact statement and the judge will say, yeah, I've read it. And they'll go, right, we'll go no further then. And of course, then the defendant never hears mm. what the victim has suffered in terms of a human element. And whilst the judge, I know, will take it into account, the victim impact statement, that is, when sentencing, it's still important that the defendant should actually hear what is actually said by the victim. One case that I covered, the judge says, I hope you read the report when you're in prison. Well, he may well have read the report, the defendant, but I suspect that person didn't. Surely, if one of the intentions of victim impact statements was for the defendant to hear yes. what the impact has been of their behaviour or their crime, was not quite fulfilling that intention, is it? If you feel like you're shortchanging the victim. Yes. Well, indeed, and yeah. I suspect the victim is writing it for that reason. Yes. Some victims will actually specifically ask for their statements to be read out, and, and they will be. I think on the majority, you'll find that the prosecutor might do a very mm. sort of watered-down version of the victim impact statement, just a couple of lines. And it comes back to that same argument. The defendant really should hear the full effects mm. of what the victim has suffered. What's the reason to not read them out? It's nothing to do with trying to keep things secret. It's nothing like that at all. It is all about time. I understand why the courts want cases to be dealt with quickly because they've got a huge backlog to get through post-COVID. Mm. How often are you coming across it? Certainly the anodyne sort of couple of lines pretty much probably about 70% of the time. You don't get to hear the full statements. There's one particular judge actually that sits and he will actually read out passages of the victim impact statement, which he thinks are significant when the prosecutor doesn't read it out. So, oh, right. uh, And it's very unusual that that particular judge does it. And it, it does explain. It helps me understand. And that means it helps the public understand because we obviously we are known as the eyes and ears of mm. the public. There's a couple of occasions where I've sat through victim impact statements on a sentencing that come immediately to my mind. The wife of the police officer, yeah. Dave Phillips, mm. when he was murdered on the Wirral, 
gave me goosebumps that one mm-hmm. in court she was so eloquent and mm. it was very powerful but i'm guessing she gave that statement in person she did she yes. stood up in person let's not ignore the importance of open justice and let's get these statements actually read out properly as they're supposed to be tell us i don't know best magistrates court story my favorite magistrates court case <laughs> is still one I, I love did. he's got one off the top of his head. I yeah. do. We did not prep him for this, <laughs> no. and yet he has it. No. It is still one from about 30 years ago. I was covering another case, and I had to go and do a door knock on it. And what happened was that um, I went for a pint at this particular person's local pub afterwards. and Keeping um, up those journalist yes, traditions. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Glad to a, hear that. It was a lovely little pub in Drax, near Selby it was. It was a, a real country pub, hardly anybody in there. And the landlord asked us who we were and said who we were and what we were there for. And he says, oh, you don't need to worry about that load of rubbish. Why don't you come to our court case? And I was go- and obviously I was thinking, yeah, right, OK, here we go. It was in the days of strict licensing laws. And the landlord was up for um, serving people after hours. What was interesting about it was that um, the police sent in three undercover officers to expose this thing. But what was more interesting was that all three officers got absolutely sloshed during this investigation, (laughs) one of whom was so drunk that he actually fell over whilst trying to, in effect, arrest this uh, landlord. And um, uh, and obviously we went to cover this case. All the officers gave evidence and they all had to admit drinking between five and eight pints of Old Bailey beer, which is what they they were serving Old Bailey, which is a very strong beer. Oh, brilliant. The, fa- the famous headline in the Daily Mail being uh, Passing Out Parade. Yeah, that was the headline. Top marks to our subs there. That was, uh, that was without doubt my favourite. Okay. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for yeah. joining us. It's been fantastic to see Great you. Great to have you, Thank John. You. Uh, we'll let you get back to court. Uh, well, it might be more a case of a coffee or maybe uh, something stronger, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks. Right, thanks, John. Yeah. Thank you. So that's it for episode 11. We'll be back next week, hopefully with some evidence about baby H, a baby girl who Lucy Letby is accused of attempting to murder twice in September 2015. Charges she denies. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence and you can read my daily reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. And we'll both be back next week. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. I'm coming to find me, Darren! But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is everything I know about me. 
If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again. Because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. And ashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah, I remember that being really stressful. Everything I know about me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.